Welcome to iPhone. Happy Sunday, everybody, and welcome to episode 58 of I4O. Um, we have a pretty exciting episode this week, despite what has happened lately in tech news, also known as not much at all. Um, I'm joined today by two of my favorite people, Jeff, and last but not least, Irvin. What's going on, guys? Good to have you back on the show, Irvin. Yeah, happy to be back. Yeah. Um, excited to uh, discuss some uh, new stories with you guys. Yeah, yeah, same um, here. And Jeff, go ahead. Yeah, so um, kind of something I'm starting to do every week on these episodes, but uh, a little recap of last week's activity with our episode. We hit 127 downloads since last week as of this morning. So again, a special thank you to those of you who tune in every week. We appreciate your listening, and we are fans of yours. Um, also, we consider this a discussion not only between ourselves, but also one with you. So any feedback you provide is appreciated. We want to know who's tuning in uh, every week, what interest you have, uh, what you like and don't like about the show, and what you feel like we could bring to the table for you. Mm-hmm. So, And unlike Google, we don't share that stuff. <laughs> correct. We will not tell anyone who you are, except ourselves. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, does, it does help with the reviews. I, I like that. Yeah, it's nice. But um, so now that Irvin's here, I do want to actually ask you um, how your experience has been with the iOS 12 beta. Um, we were talking about it last week, but we didn't have any like firsthand experience with the iOS 12 beta. But yeah. um, it's been uh, pretty good. So I've been running it since the first public beta. So I didn't make the plunge on the full early developer version that they released at WWDC want to wait wanted to wait till the public beta um and I saw some reports that it was fairly smooth so I made the plunge and I can uh, uh agree to that it's been very smooth update they made some small tweaks uh speed improvements uh the notif- group notifications are uh just perfect coming from android um and this one thing that i uh really miss from android is when mm. switch ios was the notification system and this brings it one step closer it's still not as good but it's getting there um but overall they're paying attention to it what i said it shows that they're paying attention to it at least yeah yeah um it's just a different philosophy in terms of how they tackle notifications i guess uh but yeah each each beta has gotten so I think we're on beta two or maybe beta three on, on the public version. Um, it has gotten smoother and smoother, bug fixes, uh, no app crashes so far. Um, battery life's eh, iffy, but that I, I'm, I'm thinking that'll improve um, with uh, once we get to the final release. But so far, so good. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like battery life's always an issue when they start out with those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, I've mine has been relatively okay and uh you're running ios 12 i'm running the developer preview for for android p and my experience has been largely the same it's been a very smooth experience maybe like a couple of things break every once in a while but i can't tell if it's just like standard google breaking stuff or if it's like actually a problem with the beta um and like most of it has come from things that like wouldn't be tested as much like android auto stuff like that um but overall the phone has been great and 
at the I finally got that OTA. You you know my experience with trying to get the OTA. It took me like close to two weeks to actually get the update to be able to download it. Um, yeah. So that's been an experience in itself. Um, but yeah, um, I think without further ado, I think we should get into some of these hot stories for this week. I think we have some exciting stuff to talk about. Yeah, let's um, do it. Yeah, let's get into it. Uh, so... To start off the show, Twitter has reportedly suspended 70 million accounts in the past two months in a crackdown. Um, in a so, follow-up, uh, 70 million tw- uh, more accounts have been created by bots. Yeah, I was going to say they're all bots. <laughs> but it's just, like, they just come in and replace them. But anyway, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Then they're saying that the, the rate of suspensions is twice the company's October 2017 suspension rate, which we covered also. Um, so, yeah, they've it's like, like you're saying that bots are a problem on Twitter, and they're starting to notice that bots are starting to actually have an influence in the general discourse of the internet, being able to retweet and favorite stuff that probably shouldn't be as high up as it is. Um, but it's they're they're saying it'll cause a potential decline in users, but I think I think that a decline in users in this scenario is a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Oversaturated. I mean, like, if you're gonna be like if you're gonna base your number of active users and you get rid of 70 million bots and your total number of users goes down um, i think that's a problem in itself that needs to be solved i think that makes the number more accurate right and i think that's better for you know viewing the true value of okay you can say that you have 400 whatever million users but mm-hmm. seven million of those are fake <laughs> yeah yeah, like a lot of it is, like you said, confidence in, in yeah. their numbers. And mm-hmm. the, if they're doing this, then that way, further down the line, the more they can prove that those are actual people. Yeah. One and, thing that I noticed that, that has, has been happening is after, when someone famous or semi-famous tweets uh, right below them uh, an account with a very similar username and the same avatar mm-hmm. uh, will tweet out a link or say something that says, hey, f- I, I launched whatever, just check it out. And that's been more and more prevalent. And it happens. It's like the first tweet. So when you click on a tweet, you can see all the replies to it. It's the number one every single time. So there's yeah. that, that's definitely a bot doing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Going out As soon as that person tweets, it replies the, to be the first one to say, and then some people fall for it because they don't look at specifically at the username because Twitter really stopped highlighting that username. They just show the name of the person, which can be anything. So you can name yourself, any anyone. Um, and that's the first thing that people see. And that's all oh, it matches the avatar. It's like, oh, what's this? Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And really kind of, people. And kind of like and I was... Especially- I was kind of, yeah, I was kind of mentioning off the a similar vein with not just celebrities, but also with um, like companies, um, primarily cryptocurrencies where I've seen it. If they have a handle and they're making some kind of announcement, there's always a, a reply to that tweet that's, again, at the top of the list when you go into the replies made by an account with a handle that differs by maybe one character or offering some kind of deal. And it's obviously a scheme. And I can only imagine that a lot of people are falling for that, which is unfortunate. So um, hopefully with this uh, crackdown on these bot accounts, things like that will start to happen less frequently. Mm-hmm. 
this also will probably mean the end of say like utility accounts mm -hmm. like for example i have a secondary twitter handle that is built to run off of an rss feed and they they did this by limiting the amount of times that a twitter account could post through a service i think they limit you at the app level and how many times that app is allowed to tweet as you in order to control automated bots um so it, we're probably going to see the end of that as well because it's a very repeated behavior and it's probably very easy to identify one of those as a bot. So I'll have to let you know if it ever gets banned or something. Um, but yeah, this, so this our, is... Our account was banned at a certain point. I don't know if you guys know that. Our, our Twitter account was? The, the IRL one, right? Because we had it set up to just post um, news stories from an RSS feed mm. and then uh, Twitter suspended it for a little bit. I, I resolved it and then re-enabled our account, but it was a while back. This was like maybe six, seven months ago. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's news to me. <laughs> I, I remember you mentioning that, but I never really, we didn't get caught up on it too long, so you saved the day. So, yeah, I, yeah they have internal systems that sort of analyze the behavior, I guess, of the account to say if it's spam or not. I'm sure <laughs> AI can solve it somehow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or an algorithm, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, use, use yeah. one bot to thwart the other bots. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so this is, I think this is part of like a larger push with social media, like Facebook and Twitter to eliminate this issue. And I think this is a really good step in the right direction. I don't know much else that Twitter could do to reduce the amount of bots or to to stave off like, fake news and yeah. all that stuff. I'm not sure what else they would need would, to do. Would um, making a requirement to attach a real identity to the person to verify like everyone will that the green the the blue check mark is supposed to be like that the solve the solution kind of. What if everyone had to go through that verification process to verify their mm -hmm. identity be hard, harder to sort of create those quick fake accounts those yeah there would have to be a way to have like you would have i guess uh verified accounts and then perhaps maybe like a green check which would be like managed accounts or something that's that's kind of what i'm envisioning where like uh the managed accounts would be accounts that are either pulling from a service or managed by multiple people whereas all their accounts are a it's a single entity and I think having that, like maybe having that identification would be good. Um, it's just an idea. I'm just spitballing now, but yeah, um, just one way of maybe approaching that issue. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how deep Twitter would go to verify each individual user's identity. It, that might get a little creepy to people who aren't that invested in Twitter. Um, but along the same vein of what you're saying, Matt, I could see something like that happening. Although it may make you know sharing from one service to another um, a little more difficult, maybe if you do have reputable news, but you're sharing it to multiple sources from one um, location, that becomes less trustworthy due to that green check mark or something like that. Mm -hmm. That would also be kind of weird. Yeah, because then I would be like, oh, okay, this is a managed account. This isn't one person telling me this. Right. So that could um, be a potential red flag for like bots and maybe like the same identity can't be used for multiple accounts. I don't know how that would work, but I think that would also be 
another nice channel. So if you like, because right now the, the main one that I see is every time Elon tweets, someone replies with the same name, but a different handle, right? So you can't name yourself Elon Musk. You can't change your name. Like that could be an easy, how many Elon Musk in the world are there? Like right. real ones. Well, I was saying like, you can't have, like you can't be, because when you verify your account, you have to go through several steps to provide identification for yourself. Yeah. And if they do this, I think that you should only be able to have an active identification for one Twitter at a time. So mm. like for one account, you would only be able to have that. Yeah, one person can't run multiple accounts. Yeah. So yeah. there can't be like five. If Elon Musk has like a tennis Twitter account and like one for <laughs> like managing like his other schedules or something like you can't have three blue checks on three Elon Musk's. That, won't, that won't make sense. Yeah. So. Um, and maybe like if you hover over the check, it should say like verified by, and then the name in one of the sources for the application. Yeah. So I don't know. There's, there's few, there's a few ways to do this just, but I think the ultimate goal here is just to make it more transparent for people who are looking in on this, um, keeping that check present in as many places as possible, even if it's just embedding it above the thumbnail for their image. I think just this, this is all stuff that they can do to help. So definitely. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I think that is everything we have for Twitter. But moving on to HTC, um, there's some news from them. They're going to be laying off 1,500 employees from its Taiwan division in an effort to save money. So HTC isn't doing too well. Um, uh, that 1,500 employees is about 22% of their workforce, which is uh, fairly significant, almost a quarter a bit. Uh, of their uh, uh, workforce. So, yeah, there's a tweet in, inside of the uh, Verge article by Samson Smith that uh, states that on June 26, ATC said that they'll return to profit profitability this year. Um, and on July 2nd, they said that they're laying off 22% of their workforce. So that I guess that's one way of, of returning to profitability. <laughs> well, technically, they're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. um, also, for anybody who's wondering initially, this isn't a, this isn't, none of these percentages overlap from the group that left to go to Google mm -hmm. for their uh, Pixel team. So over the course of this past year, HTC has lost around 40%, 44% or whatever of its workforce um, just from either being acquired by Google or these layoffs. So hopefully they can kind of make a return because their their phones were among the, the pioneers in some yeah, of... They were the, kings. They were king. Yeah, they, they pioneered. Smartphones and, and previously that Windows smartphones. So they've been in the game a very long time. Yeah, and not many people would know this because Apple was more famous with it, but they were the first ones with to create the full metal unibody smartphone. Paper. So, and I had that photo, I loved it. Um, but what wrong? I don't I can't pinpoint to one event, I think. Was it think, Samsung just putting so much marketing dollars at every, all, all of their flagships that people were like lost didn't know they just like, oh, it's if if you're buying an Android phone, you're just gonna you're gonna get a Samsung. If you're buying Apple, of course, you're getting an iPhone. But mm -hmm. also, they they had a couple of like maybe two or three very like poorly designed phones, um, like the U11, I think, was a phone that did particularly poorly. Um, and then just like several years of 
kind of stepping away from what made them famous like they abandoned the boom sound they abandoned oh. um, like oh. the metal unibody they adopted these like weird yeah. flashy designs their cameras weren't very good they couldn't and, yeah like i think it was like a perfect storm with them declining in quality and the nexus and pixel lines stepping up their quality substantially so i think it's i think it's kind of like HTC went down when Pixel went up. So. Yeah, and you know, sending two thousand of probably your best workers and your design team over to Google isn't really a sign that you're still invested in that niche. Um, if you consider the fact they're still very involved in the VR space, it's like the yeah. HTC Vive and everything. Um, you could just they might just be taking a new direction or uh, focusing more on that direction. Maybe they're cutting their losses in the smartphone market. Mm -hmm. well, their yeah. new uh, U U12 isn't getting great reviews that they just launched um, yeah it's it's not being well received by the tech reviewer community <laughs> um, yeah it has a transparent back so you can see the internals uh, which is kind of cool but uh, it has no buttons on the phone itself so all the buttons are squeeze triggered or pressure sensitive <laughs> mm. <laughs> they're really going all in on that squeeze feature that they <laughs> launched i could see that going um, really wrong yeah so apparently those uh so the youtube channel jerry rig everything I'm, I'm sure you guys are familiar yep. he does teardowns of the phones so uh those there are still buttons on the phone they just don't click in they're just pressure sensitive but you can pry them off they're just glued on and once you do it the buttons will never work again because that's the capacitive sensor that yeah. senses there's actually a finger there yeah Okay. <laughs> yeah repairability hooray oh my god i think that um i think this could be in the end despite all the joking a good thing for htc just because i think having a smaller company will allow them to focus more on making one thing really good instead of making a bunch of things really okay so um hopefully they abandon the squeeze functionality because even on my Pixel, I've disabled it. I don't use it at all. I don't, like at all. Um, but like, I could just, I could see this, like a, a smaller, more focused HTC having more of like a return to form with their technology and their innovation. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, they could make a, a better phone than Samsung, but can they really compete with Samsung's marketing budget? Because all, all that matters. The best device isn't going to win it's one with the biggest pockets yep they don't yeah. seem to have big pockets right now samsung mm -hmm. a lot of money and they throw advertisements at everything you see samsung ads everywhere mm -hmm. oh it's at the point where people associate android with samsung exactly right so mm -hmm. ask a normal person they'll get an android phone no it's a samsung right mm -hmm. um do they have a chance to come back they might know. They might make, yeah, the best Android phone and might have a niche market like a Pixel does, right? If you want the best experience, then you'll get a Pixel. Mm -hmm. and HTC might come back to that point where the diehards, the enthusiasts will know. But I think the, it has a very slim chance of making them back into the mainstream like it was back in, I don't know, 2010. Yeah. Do you think they could make a strong upcoming in Asia? Uh, yeah. That definitely is possible, um, but yeah, because they could go and focus in Asia, and then 
after which once they gain more momentum that way i think they could expand into back into the american markets as a much bigger stronger company with a following from other countries yeah maybe. yeah if they'd even know. need to at that point i mean with what's going on with uh was huawei and uh, zte you know all the news mm-hmm. that we've been covering um if there is that giant gap over there in the asian market htc could very well fill that if they had a shift in that direction yeah, yeah. I think only time's going to tell for HTC just to decide on where they want to take this. I don't know exactly what this means for HTC. I don't know what this means for um, for these employees or whatever, but um, I think HTC does need to do something, and I don't think VR is going to get them there. I think they're going to need to go back into phone technology or maybe, maybe move it to like laptops or something or, I don't know, tablets. I don't I have no idea. So they have to do something. They have to innovate. That was a was Nexus Nine, right? Nexus mm-hmm. Nine. They, mm-hmm. That was made by HTC. That was a pretty good tablet. It was. <laughs> I have to fix mine because I like it a lot. I don't want to get rid of it, but I want to fix it. Do um, some reminiscing. And even the the Pixel Two. Yeah, I, yes. One. Yeah. We're both made by HTC. Yep. Hmm. So. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, they've done it before. I think they can come back. It just they have to make the right decisions at the right time. Um, and I think right now that's downsizing is probably for the better ultimately for the lifetime of HTC. So time will tell, I guess. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. So speaking of time telling stuff, <laughs> um, Apple Music has reportedly surpassed Spotify's subscriber count in the U.S. So um, this one came as a bit of a surprise considering all of the negative fanfare that Apple Music had when it first came out, but it looks like they're really kind of dialing it back and uh, working to improve this service. Um, But they're saying they're now a hair ahead with 20 million plus subscribers. They said the exact figure was withheld on request of the source to protect the confidentiality of the person from this article. But either way... um, this is impressive if that's actually true. Um, yeah. Um, it might not be, um, I said this in the pre-show, but it might not be because it's a better service. I still prefer <laughs> Spotify. It's it's just the, the tyranny of the default. So it's just the default player. And people, when they're getting their iPhone, they're like, oh, launch Apple Music. Oh, I can just pay right here. I can listen to all the songs that I want. Oh, cool. I don't have to download a separate app. It's just easier, right? Mm. If you... Yeah already aren't invested in spotify if you're just launch and seeing okay what how do i listen to music oh it's built right in i just subscribed here it's just yeah. easy. i think that helped them a lot to get to this point and to get to this point this quickly because what was when when did apple music launch how many years ago um i don't know <laughs> that up but you guys can yeah. talk but to like you're saying the the like the rule of the default being the number one choice i i also think it may have to do with their heavy ad campaigns for apple music Mm -hmm. um getting a lot of celebrities in having exclusive deals for albums and even going as far as say just the the fact that they're embedding it in all their devices and apple music works across their whole platform in the walled garden I think 
I think that plays a bigger contributor than anything into the actual quality of Apple Music and why it's being as successful as it is. Um, but yeah, so, so um, I looked at Apple Music launched in 2015, so June 2015, so three years ago, and um, Spotify has been officially around since um, 2018 or 2008, uh, but. Uh, it launched in the U.S. specifically 2011. So, um, so they've been around since 20. So four years, yeah, four years longer than Apple Music. Yeah, in the U.S. specifically, because they they were international first and then came to the U.S. Sort of opposite what typically companies do. <laughs> they come to the U.S. <laughs> and then go international. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so they've been at this a longer time, but it's re- very very impressive that uh, Apple has caught up so quickly. Yeah, and that being Spotify, said, though. Um, it's important to note that Spotify is still crushing Apple Music globally. Yes. Like yeah. absolutely crushing yeah. Apple Music globally. <laughs> it is a, Apple Apple Music has 120 million fewer subscribers than Spotify in total. Um, so it, this may just seem that they're, they're starting to set some records. Like I think when Drake's new album launched, um, they were able to have a higher user engagement than Spotify during the first like day or so after that. But um, that being said, Spotify, this is just not to construe the facts here. Spotify is still a much larger service than Apple Music right now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in the U.S., the numbers are a bit skewed because there's so many people who have iPhones. Right. So the U.S. is the number one country where yeah, mm-hmm. iPhone has the majority market share. Yeah. So yeah, they're saying um, Spotify having 75 million, or uh, as of March 31st, Spotify. Oh wait, let me see this. Um, 75 million paying has a much larger total of at least 170 million active users due to their free ad service. Right. Um, but Apple Music comes up way less than that right now. But the fact they're passing them in the U.S. says something. But I think that's not going to be. I don't think that was really that comes to no surprise to anybody really. So yeah, and you know it's the default on the Apple devices, but it is a sign that the service itself is getting reputable and doing well. People are actively using it, which is what Apple wants. Um, and when back when we were first covering the HomePod, I remember we were you know kind of being skeptical about whether or not people would go out and buy those because you had to use Apple Music on it. Um, so you would think that if you have all these users in the U.S. primarily now using Apple Music's platform, that the HomePod's not going to have any issue continuing to sell, uh, especially with new uh, generations of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure that um, towards the end of the year, we may see more products coming out from Apple to support their music streaming service, maybe something to compete with the lower end, like the Echo Dots and the Home Minis of the world. Um, that's still, there's no rumors on that as of yet, but it's something they very easily could step into if they wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think this would be a good time to do that. Cause that would, this would further entrench them as one of the better or more, more subscribed to services in the country. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it just, it really does come down to like, I don't know the exact percentages, but a lot more people in the U S have iPhones than Androids. So Apple has this market locked down pretty good. Yeah, um, definitely. But yeah. Um, so, Irvin, I think, would you like to lead off the next topic? Um, 
just because you've been very involved in the uh, SpaceX aspect of things. It's about time I think we mentioned one of their competitors, Virgin Galactic. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Virgin Galactic um, plans to launch uh, customers to space uh, from uh, a future Italian spaceport. So uh, they're uh, announced today a partnership with at least two of the biggest aerospace companies uh, mm -hmm. someday launch. So we'll see what that turns out to someday launch people in space. <laughs> haven't been they saying haven't been saying this for a very long time. I think so. Yeah, I don't think I've heard a definite date from yeah. from not only Virgin but literally any company for for years now, and they've been talking about that. Um, but yeah, they're um, they're going to be working coming up with a framework for how space flights are going to be conducted. Um, so this is I get like every time I read these articles, I get this like really like Star Warsy type like like pair of like nice rose glasses to like look at it with where i'm like oh man it's gonna be the future soon i'm so excited <laughs> and then like and then five years later i'm still doing the same thing when i see another article like this but um every step we get is one step closer regardless and um the fact that it's coming from private agencies i think is more lending to me being excited than say yeah. like if nasa was like hey we got this in the books because nasa's timeline is like decades right yeah so. um yeah. and there's apparently hundreds of customers who have deposits of a quarter million dollars down for their ticket to do this um and ceo richard branson says he's hoping to fly on the space plane as early as this year so oh, that might just be hype who knows but um it could be as soon as this year hey that's, that's way to prove that it actually works you yourself as a ceo jump on it and show it yeah <laughs> yeah if you think it's safe enough, then people will yeah. Right. That reminds me of like all the YouTube videos of like the CEOs of like startup bulletproof vest companies, like walking out into a gun range and being like, shoot me and stuff yeah. like that. It's like, <laughs> it's like, yeah, go out and just fly in this and like show us. The Wright brothers, you know? Yeah. The Wright brothers to go all the way back. Yep. Yeah. But yeah. So I think, I think this is going to be cool. The fact that it's, not a shuttle it's a plane type launch um to get the space they say it's carried to a high altitude by a larger carrier aircraft um and then it is then dropped from the carrier where it ignites its engine and then finishes the final ascent to above earth um and then they say after a few minutes in microgravity it shifts its wings to re-enter earth's atmosphere and land on a horizontal runway so like if that actually works, that's crazy. Yeah. And that would save them a lot more fuel so than a traditional launch. It's saying that the space plane, it's supposed to remain at the spaceport indefinitely. So would that mean that this is kind of just like a you pay to go fly into space for a bit and then come back? Are they not planning to do this for transportation services like some other companies have been talking about? This well, might... Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was just uh, just a sort of fun, a few minutes of microgravity yeah. to actually space. That's what this is right now. It's not the the transportation system that Elon showed, but the BFR that lets you go from New York to Shanghai in 30 minutes. Right. It's not Although I, I would imagine it's headed that way if it has some uh, success. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, 
and and I agree with what uh, what Matt said. The more people who are trying to uh, crack the space uh, 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 travel thing uh, privately, the better, right? Because yeah, like like you mentioned, NASA doesn't move very fast, and <laughs> they also go over budget quite a bit. Um, so <laughs> with these private companies, all, all with them, it's it's all about maximizing profit. Just a little over budget. Yeah, that's all. Yep. <laughs> and they're working on getting uh, things cheaper and uh, more efficient. Um, and uh, things overall good. More people, the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, looks like they're going to be working also with Virgin Orbit, their partner company. And they're going to do multiple satellite launches for them as well as investing in like different kinds of launch systems. Um, so they're currently working on their own vehicle. Um, but it, the like you said, the more people who poke at this, the closer we get to actually seeing something. And then maybe uh, once this is done, several it's it's only a couple of steps additional to add to that to go from a few minutes in microgravity to um, getting on to maybe like either boarding a new type of ship or and going into space or taking that and just finishing the final launch to break Earth's orbit. Yeah. So we're close. We're close. <laughs> or maybe uh, parking on the landing strip in orbit and taking your week in your space AB- Airbnb. Yeah. <laughs> that would be nice. Just having fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that is certainly in our future. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm very... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Excited. Hopeful. Yeah. Hopeful. That is uh, in our future. Oh, and I, yeah. I think in like 25 to 30 years, it could be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Shorter than that. I don't know. Maybe I'm being too pessimistic, but mm-hmm. could yeah. be kind of exciting. Yeah, no, definitely. It's definitely exciting. Um, but I think uh, something that's important to note that before we start sending people into space and before we start getting really excited about um, space travel and suspension of microgravity, I think we should have a conversation about transitioning our sites over to HTTPS. Yes. <laughs> down here on Earth. You mean, do you mean another conversation, Matt? <laughs> yeah. Um, so just like updating your printer drivers, it's also very important to make sure that your website has a proper certificate. Um, and there's a couple of sites that do not have certificates. Really big. Um, yeah, pretty big ones. Mm-hmm. Um, but I Like, how how can you get away with this? Um, like there should be the red flag. So like, okay. So for anybody who is here for the actual thing, Newsweek, Time and Fox all do not have HTTPS on their websites. Um, granted, I think a lot of this is more for websites that have online markets. Uh, that's more so where HTTPS is something that I look for. Um, but you can still set up profiles. You can have accounts with these guys. You can put stuff in and like have data from you on their website. So the fact that they're not secure shows that they're not taking this seriously. And I think that's very upsetting to me. Um, So Google is going to start making them feel bad for it soon. Yeah. It's definitely going to be, you know, an undertaking at the very least for them to do this since they have such a high amount of content and traffic. Um, Mm -hmm. But I mean, when you, talk about things like unencrypted traffic and um, code insertion vulnerabilities 
terms that you may or may not be familiar with, but these are nasty, nasty things out there that malicious parties intend to use to get things from you, to uh, put you at a disadvantage. And it's when there's sites that have this many viewers coming to them. I mean, I'm sure you recognize at least one of those three, uh, probably all three. Um, this is something they need to do. It's their responsibility. Yeah. And for... Um... For people who are watching the live stream, there is a there is a example that I have up as to what the URL will look like. So anybody who does go and check these sites out will see a visible not secure next to the website's name. And I think that maybe in itself will be enough of a warning. Like, why is my news site not secure? What's going mm -hmm. on here? Why is this not safe? So like, I think... I think that there, this, unfortunately, I feel like this is going to be a matter of um, it'll only change when this happens. Um, but yeah, when Chrome 68 rolls out, it'll be much more visible and much easier to tell a site not being safe. Yeah. And I think that's a good thing. I think that's a very good thing. I mean, for new sites too, like man in the middle attacks are very, very bad because it allows fake web pages to pose as the ones that your users are intending to get to. So things like, mm -hmm. you know, fake news and content injection are going to happen in that environment. And that makes you incredibly unreputable. Mm -hmm. Would yeah. a plugin like HTTPS everywhere protect you from that? Even does, does like Fox News even offer if you t manually typed in HTTPS? So Fox.com, I guess, would that be? Let's give it a shot. Foxnews.com. Yeah. If you had a plugin that just automatically re redirected you. So, For me, it says the website is not fully secure, although there is a valid certificate. So I don't, I'm not sure what to make of that. But interesting. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, maybe they're solving the problem. What about Newsweek? Have you tried that one? Or Time.com? Um, but yeah, I'm. I'm curious. Let's do some. Let's do so, some investigating. It looks like they have a certificate, but maybe it's just things like the encryption is not present. Yeah, time just goes directly to. That's interesting. I have um. I have HTTPS everywhere. Um, the Chrome plugin, and for those of you who don't know who are listening, um, that plugin will attempt to redirect to a secure site on every launch, um, but time does not do that so hmm. interesting looks like you got some work to do definitely yeah the front page of time is just going to have that not secure thing on it <laughs> <laughs> so this isn't a safe magazine um but yeah so they do it is it's noted that they do encrypt some of their pages like the ones that accept payments for subscriptions and stuff but um i think that they can't just do that they have to do the whole site the whole domain i think would it's the only way to have true security on a website mm -hmm. um, there are proven attacks that once you can get into a domain that you can get anywhere pretty much um, there are attacks that um, can spoof some of the certificates to make it look safe um, that's a whole different beast in itself but um, this is very important and i think definitely should be I think Time and Newsweek and Fox should fix their certs before any of their employees are allowed to go to space. <laughs> if, if I can figure out to uh, put a certificate on my site and, and make everything 
uh, encrypted, I'm sure Fox can too. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's not hard. Let's encrypt. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's it. <laughs> Which is one of the more popular services too. As well as a statement for them. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think that will segue us nicely, um, despite anything that I might say, into our next topic. And I think the one of the bigger stories to come from this past week. So Google has a current controversy with Gmail. And through some developer functionality, uh, you can access um, a lot of data about everybody. So um, I think it's you can really approach this from two different directions. Um, the first one being that people aren't savvy on what data they're giving up when using these services. And the other one being that these companies are abusing these like 90 page long terms of service to um, obscure the fact that they are collecting your data and not giving it to you in a very upfront, easy to read manner. Um, I don't know. I'm curious to hear your guys' thoughts on this just because um, we're a group of tech nerds and developers. So I think that who better to talk about this than us, right? Um, but yeah, what are your guys' thoughts on this? I'm curious. So I think that generally until the whole Facebook fiasco blew up, a lot of the general public wasn't aware that this was happening at all. Um, people like us maybe were more privy to the fact that our data was being used. Um, but basically what we're hearing from all these companies is, like you said, it's in a privacy policy. You knew what you were getting into. You're giving us your data for our service and it, we can do what we want with it. Um, my kind of center of thought that I've been mulling through is, is that status quo acceptable for those companies to say this is the arrangement we made so now we can do what we want we can sell your 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 information to third parties in this case allowing developers to scan and read emails which is very personal um you know it's gmail is a service that i assume millions of people use it's very convenient it works great um, there's a lot of functionality in there. You don't find in other, um, services, but I do feel like the public trust has been betrayed when this kind of stuff comes out. Um, and I, I feel like Google could probably rework their structure, um, such that they're not just handing over everyone's data, um, mm -hmm. for a profit. Uh, apparently there is, um, a way to kind of opt out of this in some cases, which is yeah, good. Some, some of these sites do have options to remove some of the like ad profiles and data collection pieces. I, yeah. I feel like this story is a little overblown just because there's been plugins like this that connect to your Gmail account for a very long time. And for some reason, no stories were made because of that. I've been using an app called TripIt for the past like two years that scans my emails for any itineraries. Uh, that might come through so it automatically organizes all my trips that I go to. I'd be work or, or for fun. So mm -hmm. that that plugin has been around for longer than I've been using it. And it's been reading email accounts of people. And you agree to that. It's not like yeah. Facebook or Google's just 
sending all your email out to anyone who wants to read yeah. it. Right. Well, first, first off, let me come at you by saying I'm very jealous that your trips and vacations, both personal and work, are <laughs> that organized that you get full itineraries for everything you do. Um, I'm I'm very jealous of that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm very jealous of that. Uh, secondly. I do think I do agree with you that it's overblown, but I do also agree or I disagree in saying that I think this needs to be more transparent than in a wall of text. I think they need to have it similar to how an app requests uh, the use of certain data saying like, hey, this website is trying to access your email information. Is that okay?" Or like you have to they break it out into permissions or something like that. Yeah, that way it's easier. But like, cool, Urban, you have a service where it picks up your itinerary and makes it more seamless for you to have it organized. But it th- did you sign up to have that information stored and then used for marketing marketers targeting you with ads based on it? Uh, I'm not sure about that. I mean, uh, technically he did. He just didn't read the terms of service. Exactly. And that's what I'm getting at here. Yeah, you, you know what functionality you're signing up for. And great, that's awesome that exists and that it can parse through your email and select situations where you allow it to to do that. But then once that data is obtained, what's done with it is what's troubling to me. Yeah. So one, one service that uh, did break my uh, trust in them uh, that I used. Uh, so I, I trust TripIt to not share that information. But the one that was proven that was that was sharing information from my personal e- email is Unroll.me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Unroll.me was a service that I tried a while back, and it was supposed to help you unsubscribe for from all the emails that you really don't care about. So I was trying to clean up my inbox, and this service made it just very easy. It would just give you you give it access to your Gmail. Like we'll go through it. We'll look at all the emails that you get from different services. And with one click, you just unsubscribe. It's like, this is perfect. Let me do that. And then later on, it came out that uh, they were selling the information that they saw within your Gmail to Uber to let them know that to have them tie that information back to Uber trips uh, and also Lyft trips that you made compared to which one do you use more um to if you're not using uber or now you're taking a lift ride okay why is that and then tie it back to your uber account so uh they were selling that information without um sort of people allowing you to right they just agreed to let me unsubscribe for from email list but i never agreed to my information being sold to right so yes that that's definitely a concern so Uh, the huge Sorry, go ahead. Finish your thought. No. So the the huge thing here is that companies can get that information, which is essentially mined, and improve their advertising and their business in general based off of it. Um, a huge part of that is that it's very targeted. It's each of us individually that they're getting that information on, and then they know basically how to manipulate you, or not even manipulate you, but like what to offer you when knowing that you're going to bite. If that was anonymized or like um, maybe pooled with other users who use that same service, do you think it would be as big of an, uh, a problem? Because Uber's still generally getting information in that way. It's just not about you. It's not your personal information necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't I don't know exactly where to, to take it. Like there's there's a lot of ways that, you could go about it, but I, I'm just like, 
like I do agree that it's overblown, but I also agree that like we have to thank Facebook this whole craziness yeah. for exposing exactly just how deep the rabbit hole goes in this case. Um, like everybody has now taken the red pill <laughs> when right. it comes to data collection. Everyone knows where everything goes and they know what the intentions of the companies are, or at least think they do. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like it's, it's like scary because it's directly impacting our lives, but at the same time, like I kind of, as a, as a develop, like the developer in me is like, this is totally expected. Yeah. Like, like I signed up for this. I know what I was getting over. And the biggest thing that I've always said with Google is that I'm 100% okay with doing that because I get stuff in return. It's a mutual exchange, mm -hmm. but things like unroll me, um, like th them going above and beyond to sell data without me knowing or without Irvin knowing, I think that's a little extra. Um, like I know Google's an advertising company. It's in their best interest to sell ad data and to make money off of their users. And they offer ways to uh, restrict your ad profile or to eliminate um, ad suggestions to you based off of your interests. But other companies, I think it's a little sketchier because their intent is a, like, here's a, here's a little cute utility, like to, to go through your unsubscribed emails. And then you find out they're, collecting basically all that data from your emails by scraping everything or uh, for example Irvin you might and Jeff you probably would know this too but older Android devices um, the notorious third-party flashlight application <laughs> before Android had flashlights natively embedded into the operating system mm -hmm. um, there were some that collected a lot of data about people um, ask for permissions such as like access to emails and stuff like that and um, so data collection has been around for a while. It's just that since it's in the limelight, now we're finally having the discussion that we probably should have had years ago before it got to this point. Yeah. So. I think talking about it in the tech space where it lies kind of might change your opinion on the matter too. Like think of maybe a, a metaphor for this. If, if there's someone who's really likable, they have a good personality, they're smart, um, and, you trust them and you want to talk to them about something going on in your life that's personal to you. Um, and you do so and maybe they help you out, but then you find out the next day they went and told everybody about it. Wouldn't you feel betrayed? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you go to them for that service, so to speak, of having someone to listen to or maybe be a friend and then the next thing you know, other people know about it who you didn't want to know about it. Mm-hmm. But that's yeah. accepted as okay in a tech standpoint because it's a service provided like email. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, and, so. and, and if you have like companies like Google and Facebook joining together, that's a lot of different kinds of personal information that basically tells you exactly what you would want to know about everything about somebody. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so yeah, it, it's just a, it's just a part of it. And um, to go into some examples also, um, there is a, um, it let its employees from, there's a company called Edison Software who, um, there was a free app which helped users manage their email. It lets their employees read thousands of Gmail messages to train the smart reply feature in mm -hmm. the app. Um, so it's not only is it being used for ad revenue, it's being used for AI. And um, we've seen, we've even talked about this with Google where they, um, DeepMind reads like, 6,000 plus romance novels or 
it goes through it probably goes through email communications and stuff like that just to get an idea of what general conversation and the flow is like um so and they were saying um there's a quote um saying that anyone as anyone know who knows anything about software knows humans program software artificial intelligence comes directly from human human intelligence so like these ai are literally farming our data like when you ask your google home what the weather is like it collects your voice pattern when you ask your amazon echo what the weather is it collects that and the echo may collect some additional data a little more so than people were initially aware and i think we <laughs> talked about that a while ago too but um we live in a world where you're you are you are the product despite how cool stuff is that's coming out now and stuff that's going to be coming out you but are the product i guess my follow-up question on that to both of you is should we be so concerned with our privacy with this is it kind of like uh we're getting worked up over something that's not going to be a big deal 10 years from now because well, it'll be happening to everybody even more i can let Irvin respond to that after i say something quickly i don't know if he may have a different opinion for me but um i think that while it may not be directly important now i think in five to ten years um I think that it will be very important down the line because I think we're just getting more and more connected. So I think that being able to properly identify and control data collection as it happens now, I think will set a better precedent for the future. So that's my two cents on, I don't know if Irvin had a different opinion for me or, or not. Um, I think it, it. we need to find a way to better, you know, get control of our data because we have we're producing so much data, digital data right now that we need a better system to sort of manage that and a better system to see, OK, who is actually getting access to this information. Mm -hmm. um, and we're, I don't think we're there right now. And I, I think most people don't know what they're actually consenting to. Uh, when they agree to use a, a specific service, yeah, uh, they just, I was like, "Oh, I agree. I want to try this new app," and then you turn your life away to them. <laughs> Pretty much, it. and it's it's they they try to be shady about it, and I, I've seen it. Um, yeah, they make it very easy to for you to just agree and then start using the service, and meanwhile, you're given access to your Facebook account, your Twitter account, your email. Uh, in the mean, just by clicking agree three times. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think there's a moral issue there that some we need to somehow fix. Maybe it's it's built into the operating system the way it handles these types of permissions, like when you like in Android or in iOS when certain apps ask for permission to use certain data. Um, I think that's definitely a way of doing it, or making those pages where. Uh, I'm sure you've seen it when you agree to give access to your Google account to an mm -hmm. app, make it more detailed, make it more uh, user-friendly and actually explain to them what you're actually consenting to, what yeah. will, what is giving access to my Google account for this application will actually mean, what information will they be able to see. Mm -hmm. And also like even just something as simple as like Android notification or permissions as well, like they're very vague in what they ask for. Like, 
um and they and they like they're the even the permissions themselves aren't intuitively created to make it easier to understand you know what i mean like yeah. i don't like the the fact that they like bundle like calls and texts into the same thing and like bundle like when it says like uh, access to call data like that could also just include like using information around like the microphone or something like they need to be more spelled out in an easier to read way or easier to process way that even someone who's never seen a smartphone as their first device kind of has an idea of what it's asking for so i don't know that's just me yeah but thanks guys but yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. but with that um unless we had any more closing statements i think that brings us to the end of the article um and the end of the discussion so i don't know if you guys had any closing statements for it or not or or no no just um you know i'd encourage anyone listening to think about how you feel about the topic and if you have a strong opinion feel free to let us know what that is mm -hmm. yeah and um if you would like to know where you can place those strong opinions. Um, we do have review platforms on iTunes and Stitcher at Industry 4.0, all spelled out. Um, feel free, if you're watching us live, you can check the social media at the top. If not, we have Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Industry 4.0, all spelled out. Um, you can also check us out on podbean.com, which is where we call our home. Um, the URL for that is Industry 4.0 dot podbean.com um and yeah um we love reading and catching up on those reviews we like um hearing what you guys are saying about the show um any kind of constructive criticisms anything like not to we're not begging for it but we just love reading it just knowing what we're doing right what we're doing wrong uh and it helps us make a better show for you guys um, so yeah, if you like the show and you like what you're hearing, then go over to one of Stitcher, iTunes, Podbean and drop a review and get a discussion going with us on our social media. We love to talk with you guys. Um, and for those of you who are not listening live, if you like to watch the show, um, listen to the show after the fact, we're available on pretty much every podcasting platform available on Google play podcasts, um, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, not Spotify yet. Don't worry about that one. We're, we're working on it. Um, basically everything. Anywhere that you can download fine quality podcasts, you can find us. Um, and with, I think with everything that being said, uh, this has been episode 58. And we will see you guys in the next one. See you guys.